0: Oh, Recorded live.
1: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Talking Twilight Zone. Happy
0: St. Patrick's Day.
1: Now,
2: where's
0: McGuinness?
3: Hello? Anybody home? Yeah. Mr. Fetton? Yeah, that's right. Uh, Miss Bowles down the street sent me over. She said you wanted someone to take care of your lawn. I rang the doorbell, but nobody answered. Then I heard your radio. The front door was wide open. Oh,
4: yeah, so I... yeah, that's right. Come on up.
3: If it's uh, just the front you want taken care of, I can uh, handle it for oh, seven bucks a month. That sounds fair enough. I'll um, come every Wednesday if it's convenient. Sold. Great. Well, thanks a lot, Mr. Benton.
4: So long. No, wait a minute. Come on up. We'll sit down and have a beer on it. No, thanks. Just to say. Oh, I mean it. I got plenty on ice. Anyway, you can make a small fortune up here. Help me clean out some of this junk. How about it? Well,
5: ten minutes. i
4: Do, you do Oh, well, I'm on the road a good deal of the time. Sell him. And a matter of speaking, services are my supply. Services? Well, uh, what sort of services? Uh, maybe I can throw a little business your way. Yeah, you might at that. This is the kind of town that can generally use me. Well, what sort of services you supply?
3: I bring back the dead.
4: that played you wasn't worth a darn. But that there Garrity sure can do a job of resurrecting. I can't wait to get back into town. I've got a lot of drinking to catch up with. There's a yellow skunk of a sheriff I aim to settle a score with, too. And there's a little pipsqueak of a sot just waiting to get his arm broke. And I'm just the gal that can do it, oh, my name ain't Zelda Guberman.
5: Greetings from the graveyard.
6: You open this door with the
3: click of a mouse. Beyond it is a world of sound, thought, and opinion. In-depth discussions of television's greatest blending of science, superstition, imagination. And you're
6: invited along. We'll be talking Twilight Zone.
1: Hello, everybody. Good afternoon, and welcome to Talking Twilight Zone. And we are here today with, well, first of all, I'm Lynn, your host, and we're here today with my co-hosts, Robert and Bobby and Dave. And we're also here with with Rick Wall, our loyal listener and contributor. And uh, Dave seems to to be having some problems getting into the room. Uh, we'll try it again. Um, actually, we thought David wasn't even going to be here today, so here he is, and he keeps being mute. Can can he self mute, Robert?
0: Yeah, he can self mute. Oh, maybe that's what he's doing. Okay. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Oh, now? I I yeah.
1: can. Well, we thought you were self muting because I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't. Every time I muted, he muted again. So. I thought he what? was
0: muted just because he was going to
7: decide if he was going to have red or white. no it's just it was taking its time to get me into the room hi guys
1: yeah i was having all kinds of problems so rick can tell you i was having problems before i came in he kept trying to talk to me and i couldn't talk back because i couldn't get in and finally i did it was between skype and talk show i was having problems but anyway we're all here now so hello everybody hope everyone's well and today we're going to be uh discussing two episodes And the first one's The Encounter, and the second one is Mr. Garrity and the Graves. So, for The Encounter, I'm going to turn it over to Robert for the opening clip.
4: And now, Mr. Serling. Two men alone in an attic. A young Japanese-American and a seasoned veteran of yesterday's war. It's 20-odd years since Pearl Harbor, but two ancient opponents are moving into position for a battle in an attic, crammed with skeletons, souvenirs, mementos, old uniforms, and rusted metals. Ghosts from the dim reaches of the past that will lead us into the Twilight Zone.
1: Yes, this story, um, it's about an American World War II veteran named Fenton, a young Japanese-American named Arthur Takamori. And they meet when Takamori comes to Fenton's house looking for work. And he hears that Fenton needs a gardener, so he... Applies for just goes to his house, applies for the job, and Fenton's a little gruff. But uh, he offers uh, Takamori to come up to his attic to have a beer. He doesn't really, Takamori really doesn't want to do it, but he agrees. And they go up and you know, they start talking. and Fenton he's found an old samurai sword in his attic. And he shows it to Takamori and says he got it off a Japanese soldier whom he killed during the war 20 years earlier. And uh, Fenton asks about the inscription on the sword. And Takamori says he's not able to read Japanese. But when Fenton leaves briefly, Takamori takes the sword and says in an astonished way, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. Why? And when Fenton comes back, the sword is gone. He goes on to say, you tried to get rid of the sword 20 years, years before or for the past 20 or, years, but it keeps coming back. And they start talking more and more and more. But uh, while they're talking, um, I don't know, it, it's just uh, they seem to be getting more and more hostile toward each other, especially Fenton toward Takamori, who, who lets go a few little subtle Racial slurs here and there and and, uh, racial comments. And this is going back and forth, back and forth. And they even have a few flashbacks. Well, the two, you know, they each have a few flashbacks. And uh, to make a long story short, they eventually get into it really bad. Uh, They actually take a stance like they're going to fight each other. Benton quickly basically says, I'm not afraid of dying as much as living. He says, I've Got a box full of decorations over there. He says, and uh, I've been pushed and pulled every which way until I hate everybody, you dirty little jack. That's what he says to him. And Takamori, he still has a sword in his hand. Fenton grabs him, overpowers him. The sword is dropped, wedges into the table supports, and then going down to the floor to retrieve it, Fenton is impaled on the sword, and Takamori pulls at his feet. He looks at Takamori and he dies. Takamori takes the sword, he shrieks "Banzai!" and he jumps out the window presumably to his death. Moments later, the door of the attic slowly opens on its own, and I should say um, one thing I left out, they both tried to get out of the attic but the, the door of the attic was was locked. It wouldn't it just couldn't seem to get out. So that was kind of you know the end. Where the door slowly
0: opens on its own. I hated this episode. I I just really,
1: really, really hated this episode. Um, well, you know
0: what happened really with him, Lynn, is he forms the Crazy Eighty Eight, but there's not really eighty eight people in his group. He just felt the name was kind of cool.
1: Was so. <laughs> a really crappy episode in eighty eight different ways. <laughs> I mean, it, it was an unnecessary load of drivel. It caused an already sinking ship to sink even deeper into its fifth season. There's only one and only one good thing I can say about it. George Takai, is it Takai or Takai?
0: I was. Forget- Thanks, Takai. Takai,
1: oh does- my, oh my. Yeah. <laughs> I, he, I thought he gave a very good performance. I, I did. It. Despite this appalling script, I thought he gave a good performance. But it still stunk to the high heavens. It was it was so offensive on so many levels. Uh, Martin Goldsmith should be ashamed of himself to even write the script. It was so bad, and it is the only Twilight Zone episode that has ever been totally left out of syndication. It was never permitted to be aired again. Uh, that was part that the YouTube um, video that Bobby and wanted you to play here. Uh, George Takei talks about that. And he says that, he said in a joking way, he says, oh, well, I guess I missed my residuals on that one, <laughs> because <laughs> that is the only Twilight Zone episode never to air again, and it's never been syndicated. You, now, it is on the DVD, so you can get it on the DVD set, but um, to see it but, on television, I would, you yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you'll never see that one again. Uh, yeah, it was just bad, so bad.
2: And, it's in uh, YouTube, it's on IMDb, too.
1: Yeah, you, you can see it there, yeah. But I mean, as far as being on television, you'll never see that in a marathon or anywhere else. But that's, I mean, it's a zero. I, I just thought it was appalling. So, I'm i am going to turn it over to you, Robert, because I have nothing more to say about it.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, just be careful when you ask for a lawnmowing job if you happen to be a Japanese-American.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. Become a Japanese killer with a samurai sword, the ghost of a dead... Japanese soldier, possessed to kill a racist American, and it seemed very much like a variant of season four, He's Alive. This episode was all character building with little action, fortunately. And I like um, George Takai. I think he's great as Sulu in um, Star Trek series and movies. Mm-hmm. Here we go. The samurai sword being the um, cursed object, or as you say, the possessed object. I do believe, though, that there was a reboot of this episode. I think <laughs> I don't know why you would what, want in to... one
1: of the in one of the,
0: the yeah, uh, later or... Twilight Zone series.
1: Yeah, yeah, either '85 or the
0: 2001. I can't. There might have been, yeah. Which one? But yeah,
1: I, yeah. I, I don't know why they'd want to do that either.
0: <laughs> yeah. As we kind of all agreed on the one review where um, we thought it was. I think it was Sounds and Silences, I think it was, where we all mm-hmm. agreed and had the same rating. I, mm-hmm. Unfortunately for this one, it was a snooze fest of an episode, so my rating is a zero out of five for this as well. So mm-hmm. I think we'll go through this real quick. <laughs> Bobby, <laughs> over to you.
1: Hey, Bobby.
2: Well, it's really not worth wasting any breath on, but uh, it's obviously obnoxious, racist bullshit, to put it mildly. And uh, the, I, I, I've, as bad as it is, there's something worse than this episode, and that's uh, CBS pulling it from syndication. I mean, that's, just, that's, that's more political correctness, which I absolutely despise, which is taking over this country day by day by day, where you get to put something or say something obnoxious, and then you can turn around five minutes later and say, oh, I'm sorry, did I say that? I didn't mean to say that. I take all that back. We see that every day, every week on the news, I see it every night. We just saw it this past week with those uh, uh, frat brats uh, who uh, made that racist uh, video that got them kicked out of college. And uh, I, did, I believe in free speech, and I think CBS should have stood behind it and simply said, yeah, it's a terrible episode, we never should have approved it in the first place, but you don't just pull it because that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't prove anything. And I don't like that kind of behavior. If you, if you have the balls to put it out there, then you ought to stand behind it. Now, you can admit that you did the wrong thing, but I find that even more offensive. So they simply piled offensive upon offensive and made it even worse. All that does, see, they should have just left it there and let, let people decide on their own whether they want to see it or they don't and not played around with it. And this is the kind of thing I hate today because it's terribly insincere to say something really racist and hateful and then to turn around and act like you didn't know what you were saying. Of course you knew what you were saying. And all these apologies are very meaningless, as is the pulling of this episode. just shouldn't have been there to begin with. And it really is a pity because I think the episode had a chance to be something that would have continued and might have been looked upon in a better light had the writer decided not to take a low road and taken a higher road by simply having these two encounter each other and realize that they had more in common now that the war is over than they ever did when the war was on and have it end in a better way but for some reason maybe because the writer himself had some hatred for the Japanese maybe he had he was in the war and had a bad experience I don't know anything about him and maybe that's why he wrote it this way, because it seems odd to me that a writer would write anything this dark and this racist, which he surely knew what he was doing. can't be a professional writer and not realize what you're putting down on paper. So I think he deliberately took a low road on this. It's very, very uncomfortable to see that. And as Robert's already stated, boring talk fest that went nowhere. But at least it would have had some meaning at the end. If they had learned something from their experience, instead it's just hateful from the beginning to the end, and the jumping out the window is practically low comedy. It's ridiculous.
0: Bobby, maybe to answer your question, the writer maybe he was either in an internment camp. During... Yeah, that's what
2: I said. he may have some yeah. personal experience, but that doesn't give him the right to write a story and be racist like this. No, I can no, understand okay. anybody being angry over that, but honestly, you know, the war is a the war is over, and you've got to move on. And if these two had been able to move on, it were, and people would have had a better feeling, and, it, and we wouldn't be discussing it the way we are. So that's the big, biggest problem with it. It makes me wonder why a writer would uh, do anything like that. Beyond that, I wouldn't have liked the episode no matter what, because I don't like Neville Brand. I never have. I mean, he had a long career. He was in a lot of movies. But I always found him to be a rather unpleasant character. He's one of those character actors who's always very mean-spirited, and he's just not likable in any way. He's probably perfect for a story like this, but I personally never liked him, so I was irritated from the minute it started. And in my review, I mentioned how ridiculous it was with the drinking of the beer at the beginning. He swills down a beer in one gulp, then he opens up another one, then he opens up a six-pack, and then it just goes on and on and on, and he never has to go take a leak. I don't understand that. <laughs> so... Uh, it's just, it's just ugly, and the Twilight Zone, which is already in serious trouble and sinking like the Titanic, has to go ahead and be offensive too. It just gets worse and worse from week to week. And on our next show, as we all know, we're going to go into uh, into uh, Twilight Zone the musical. So it's uh, thank God. That recently, on the message board at our group, when we posted the last reviews of the Witches' Bowl, several people got on there and said, you know, it really is a shame. I really wish they had done a sixth season. These people have got to be kidding me. You don't want to go to a sixth season. I've just barely survived this. A sixth season would have been absolutely appalling. So thank God they finally pulled the plug on it. So this particular episode gets a zero. It just you know, I let me just make it clear that I don't think there's any loss that it's not on TV. And of course in today's politically correct environment, you can just imagine a story playing even on cable TV with these kind of uh, lines in it, it so is absolutely un- unthinkable. But, uh, you know, they pile them worse by worse by letting it go. Letting it go and then, and then saying, oh, my, we didn't realize it was that racist. Sure you did. You know what you had in your hand. I, I, I either believe in free speech or you don't, uh, even when it's bad free speech. I believe in free speech top to bottom. And it's absolute. That means free speech that's ugly and insulting and offensive is free speech just like everything else. If we're not going to do that, then this country is not the one I grew up in. So that's my rant about that. This is a zero, obviously. Lynn?
1: Okay. Felix. Hi, Felix. Nice to have you here. Glad you can make it. Okay, Dave.
7: Hi, guys. Uh, I missed the the very start and... and, and, uh, Robert's opening clip. Um, I didn't, uh, I'm just back, uh, th- thank you for welcoming me, and uh, I don't know whether Rick Wall said I was unlikely to make today. I'm just about uh, sober and compass mentally, here, having <laughs> been through. To told
1: us what you were doing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
7: yeah just back from uh, a lovely wine tasting. But um, I hope you had
0: uh, fun. Thank
7: you very much indeed. Uh, as, as we hey, said, Dave? yeah? I made the
0: joke about um, if you were Vincent Price. Or Peter Laurie from Tales of Terror. Remember that, right? Where they the cask of the
6: Monte Monteanto uh, part. Yep.
7: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, indeed. Yeah. Um. What, what was the What was the uh, the other Twilight Zone episode where um, uh, the chap uh, keeps setting him tests about which wine he's bought, and he, he sneaks in the back room and tastes it uh, without uh, telling him. I'll think about that one in a moment. Um, Anyway, oh no, that might have been, um, actually that might have been a Roald Dahl. um, That
1: wasn't wasn't a Twilight Zone. (laughs) That was
7: a Roald Dahl one, wasn't it? Yeah, Uh, uh, twisting the tail one. Um, Did you actually uh, play that little bit about uh, Jaws Takei? talking about this episode. Cause I've no, got a very... no, he,
1: no, he's still having problems. Robert's still having problems. With right, again. well,
7: I've got a very short clip of that if you want. I'll oh, play that. <laughs> Here we go.
3: The episode became controversial because the young Japanese-American gardener talks about his father, also a Japanese-American, having... Um, Committed a traitorous act, uh, that of, guard, uh, of uh, guiding Japanese farmers into Pearl Harbor. This factory, of course, is, did not happen. It is something that was is, uh, from the Twilight Zone. But because it was not factual, civil uh, liberties organizations and uh, history buffs uh, protested that. And, and there was this controversy concerning that particular aspect of uh, this episode, and it's been pulled from syndication. And so the, uh, the uh, unique history of this particular episode that I worked on, The Encounter, is that it was never rerun again.
7: And that was him talking at a his own conference. Uh, the amazing thing to me about that is um, it, the, he doesn't um, certainly doesn't seem to be embarrassed about his his, his uh, role in the park. I think it's always difficult reading and are talking about something you know 40, 50 years after the event. I mean, uh, it, it was uh, too soon after the war really, and it it, it was in in bad taste. Um, uh, I, I agree, really, that free speech should be allowed. Um, I don't know how they could have tackled this other than that. I, I haven't been able to see it all the way through. As I say, I've only just come back uh, home, but um, it may have been better if these people had been possessed, as it were, by the um, the sort of um, by their parents. Are uh, it would have been better, should I say, if if, if the story had been told as two young people going into an attic. And then, you know, maybe going into the attic as friends, you know, uh, an American boy and a, uh, a person who was um, an immigrant into the United States. And then maybe something when the sword was seen, the sword taking them over and them role playing, as it were, um, their their ancestors. And um, suddenly going from being friends to being at each other's throats. That, to me, would have made a far better and stronger message. The trouble is about things like this, um, and again, I agree with the uh, Bobby and the free speech thing, the trouble is if you actually ban things like this, you almost give them power, you almost give them energy, because then it becomes um, something that's a, a bit of a debating point. Um, I, I can't really rate it, other than the fact that, um, obviously, George Take Takei uh, went on to Star Trek and Greater Things, it obviously didn't impede his career somewhat. You you see a very strong actor in him, even given the material. So uh, I don't know whether it deserves uh, at least one point or more for introducing uh, him to us. Not sure whether it was actually one of his earliest roles or not. Mm-hmm.
6: Um, nope. It wasn't? He was in uh, uh, Bridge Over the River Kwai.
1: Right. Oh, that's right! I forgot about that, Rick.
6: Um, oh,
0: okay. And then in '69, he's in the Green Berets
7: with John Wayne. Yep. Well, '69 is later, of course. No, it's this, after is, this is, uh, now. Yeah. yeah, this is uh, season five, episode one five one, aired first of May, nineteen sixty four. But uh, since I've sort of jumped in, let me let me bow uh, to Rick Wall and, and let's hear what he has to say. But. Uh, uh, for the fact that uh, that young actor maybe got his break one of his earlier breaks in this, it, it certainly deserves a one or so for that, I would have thought. I thought Back he was good in the
1: role. I thought he was good in the role. You know, I wasn't crazy about the story at all, but I thought he was good and he said that he was thrilled to be a pit for that role.
7: Yeah, and he said that um, he um, he met um, you know the showrunner there and uh, he said that uh, earlier on, I mean, I only played a brief clip there, but he said that most people didn't actually get to meet Rob Sterling, but uh, he, he did and uh, liked him as a person. Cool. That's okay. me done, may really.
1: Okay. Well, thank you, Dave. And Rick, on to you.
6: I've, n- to be honest with you, I've never seen the episode, so I really can't comment on it. Okay. But That's I fair. Will- but I will say that this is not the first racist um, um, episode. If you remember a remembrance of Pip, uh, Jack Klugman was very racist.
1: Oh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. That's
7: true. Beginning.
1: When the son, yeah, when the son
7: was killed, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's just say that it wasn't Jack Klugman that was racist. The part he was asked to play.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was uh, the episode itself, yeah. Yeah, that's well, was
7: details. His,
0: yeah, his son wasn't killed. It was still up in the air when he goes to the carnival and yeah. sees his son as a young kid. So it was still up in the air. It, but I'll yeah. say
6: this um, it, it, I agree with uh, Robbie and Dave. And I remember back when we owned the trucking company, my dad, this was like in the 70s and 80s, uh, even earlier, but. I wasn't around much before that uh and my dad would go around and he'd call all the african American guys in and uh we had a uh, a person from Puerto Rico we used to always call him puerto Rican. and uh you know my dad died at ninety three and he's still Called people ends and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. you know back then people had thicker skin, I think, and uh, you know it was just a uh, chick being chick. Yeah, it, it doesn't bother me, you know, because I'd ask the guys, you know, if he if they were bothered by how my dad acted, you know, and they said, nah, that's your dad being your dad. Is him, you know, it runs off uh, like a uh, you know water water off a duck.
1: My father was like that too, though, Rick. My father, you know, he had no problem using racial slurs and things. It's uh, it was just that, the way he he was. You know, born. when
6: they were bo- you know when they were growing up and everything, that was.
1: That's what I mean. It's the way he was
6: You know, the way it, he
1: was brought up. Yeah.
6: You know, as a matter of fact, one time in uh, college, I I kind of. Embarrassed myself, but actually we became very good friends. Uh, I was the manager of the soccer team, and there was a uh, forward who was um, an African American. And I said, "Hey, big blackie!" And he turned around and goes, "What did you call me?" <laughs> and I apologized, and uh, you know, he he met my father, and then he understood. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> why I did that, but you know, like I said, we became very good friends.
1: That
6: was good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I turned green when he turned around and it looked like he was ready to kill me. Uh, but, um, but again, that was in the 70s, and it was a little less touchy than people are nowadays. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, when and if... Well, actually, I shouldn't say if. When I get Harrow House on... Uh, there's going to be a little bit of a, uh, um, a warning or whatever, uh, saying if we offend anybody, too bad we intended to. <laughs>
5: uh,
1: I like that.
6: <laughs> but uh, n- unfortunately, I can't give it a rating because I haven't seen it. I'll probably <laughs> go to YouTube. It's on YouTube, Bob.
2: Yeah, it's on IMDb. Okay. Just go in there and type in Twilight Zone, the encounter, and it'll come up. That's a place for Hulu.
1: Oh, yeah, Hulu, too, yeah. Okay,
2: cool.
1: All right, Rick, well, thank you. And our next episode is Mr. Garrity and the Graves. And, oh, wait a minute, before I do that, Felix, do you have a rating for this? If you do, just please type it in so that we know what it is. And, um, yeah, next one is Mr. Garrity and the Graves starring John Daner, and I'm going to turn it over to uh, Robert for the clip on that.
4: And now,
2: Mr.
1: Serling.
4: Introducing Mr. Jared Garrity, a gentleman who in the latter half of the 19th century plied his trade in the wild and woolly hinterlands of the American West. And Mr. Garrity, if one can believe him, is a resurrector of the dead, which on the face of it certainly sounds like the bull is off the nickel. But to the scoffers amongst you, and you ladies and gentlemen from Missouri, don't laugh this one off entirely, at least until you've seen a sample of Mr. Garrity's wares and an example of his services. The place is Happiness, Arizona, the time about 1890. And you and I have just entered a saloon where the bar whiskey is brewed, bottled, and delivered from the Twilight Zone.
0: Uh Uh-oh, he was calling. Out from Missouri. It's like calling people out from West Virginia. Or
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> like that music, though.
1: <laughs> Old West music. And Felix, uh, he did not like uh, the encounter very much. He liked this one a lot better. Okay, cool. Well, all right. This one uh, its about a traveling peddler named Garrity. He, arrived, he arrives in a little recently renamed town. It was recently renamed Happiness Arizona. It sounds so lovely. And he offers to bring the town's folks uh, dead back from the grave. Uh, Boot Hill Cemetery, to be exact. And uh, initially, you know, of course, they don't believe him. And when he appears to resurrect a dead dog struck by a traveler's horse-drawn wagon, then all of a sudden they do believe him. So uh, after performing that resurrection ritual, Garr- Garrity uh, he gets into some casual conversations with the townsfolk and he reminds them uh, about their dead and departed, almost all of whom were murdered and uh, who died having a score to settle with, uh, with whom and uh, so forth. And all of a sudden the townsfolk, well, they grow a little uncomfortable at the uh, idea of facing the problems they thought they had buried with their dead uh one apparent resurrectee is seen approaching town <laughs> uh the brother of i i i believe it was the bartender, his brother, and uh he' you know he shot him and uh he bribes Garrity to reverse the ritual and the figure vanishes well, ultimately, everyone in town similarly pays Garrity not to revive their loved ones. And then later that night, Garrity and his assistant, who was both the wagon driver and the resurrectee, uh, who was supposed to be the bartender's brother, they ride away with the money, joking about how they can't actually, cannot actually bring the uh, dead back to life. And they simply performed a few smoke and mirrors tricks to kind of town's folks. And they used a dog that was alive the whole time but simply knew how to play dead. And after they had left town, as they're riding away, the last scene reveals that the dead really are rising from the grave, with one commenting that the peddler underestimates his own ability. Uh, 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 he was a shady peddler. Yeah, he peddler. kissed
7: them back to life. So that's oh, what
1: yeah. He was a shady <laughs> peddler, that Garrity. And then it comes to this nice little town, claims to raise the dead. No, he gained their trust. I mean, he tricked them. He gained their trust. He's got that dog to play dead, cute little dog. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you yeah, know, the people were excited at first about seeing their de- dead friends and family members. But uh, then they realized that uh, most of the corpses had scores to settle and they were murdered and they probably want revenge. No kidding. <laughs> so they pay Garrity very handsomely not to raise them. And, you know, it was pretty clever. Very clever. Garrity, you know, is partner in crime. And they're very well-trained puppy dogs leave town in the middle of the night, felt good about themselves and i It's a its a pretty good scam. God gets very rich doing this, I'm sure. You know, he's pretty talented after all, or was he? Well, you <laughs> know, really Lynn,
0: pretty- you heard about the one about the woman hanging in the lunchroom, didn't you? Food must have been really bad.
1: <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> That's almost as bad as he left <laughs> 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 God. Oh well. I don't know. Did he really bring him back to life or was there some sort of divine invention at play? I mean, who knows? Who knows? I mean the and, and the thing that that got me about this was the risen dead weren't exactly zombies. I mean they were talking and uh one of the, the woman I think it was yeah, the woman she mentioned uh, breaking her husband's arm when she saw him again. Is uh, that that low life or something she called breaking his arm and you know, they, they look pretty well-preserved, as so though they'd just uh, been buried that morning. Uh, so I'm not sure what they were, but they all seem to have a mission. Uh, what I found really amusing, though, as well, was, um, and also very unlikely, is how the, all these simple, ordinary people had those large sums of money on hand. They just had it ready to give to Guarani. Where did they get all this money? They didn't exactly look like doctors, lawyers, or captains of industry, did they? And they all of a sudden they had like you know hundreds of dollars to hand over right away, but uh, they had it. And that was that was a little hole in the story for me because uh, you know I find it hard to believe they all had this cash, you know. But of course, don't look they spent a lot on, on themselves either. But anyway, it, I didn't think it was a bad story. I, it wasn't fabulous, but I didn't think it was that bad. Uh, the acting was very good. It John wasn't. Fabulous. It was, a, was, it? It was a marvelous, but John Sander, <laughs> he was excellent as Mr. Garrity. I thought he was very good. And he's a good actor. He appeared as Alan B. in season one, The Lonely, if you recall that. Uh, he was the guy that came and brought uh, the goodies to the guy that was, was uh, imprisoned on the asteroid. And he was also Alan Richards in season three's The Jungle. Oh, yeah. And, uh... Yeah, a few of the <laughs> other actors appeared in previous Zone as well, but, um, you know, it had a whole or two, but overall it kept my interest. I, I'm giving this one a two and a half. I really I really didn't think it was that bad, and I like John Banner. So, I'm going to turn it over to you, Robert.
0: Thank you. And, yeah, he's appeared in a lot of westerns and stuff, too. I think he's in Gunsmoke and other... Oh,
1: yeah, 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 he was. And Benanza, I think. Yeah.
0: so I like him as an actor, um... The um, story had a little more to be desired. You know, I, I decided when I was going to watch this for the review, I thought, well, you know what, I'll get me something to eat. So, um and I think Bobby really appreciated my review when I uh, mentioned that I heated up some sausages and poured me a glass of Mountain Dew <laughs> to the computer and watched this episode. <laughs> and... While watching this, I saw how boring and wordy the beginning of the episode was. And the town called Haviness should have been called Sleepiness on account of how boring and dull it was. And what was interesting was Garrity said he couldn't bring back the dead at the end. And it made me wonder why he didn't take the time to stop and check to see if he really could bring them back. You know, he could try a little experiment to, you know, actually bring one back from the dead just out of curiosity. But, you know, he was in it for the money anyway. He's walking around with the power. He doesn't know he has. I don't think he would have cared anyway. I mean, it would change this whole conning of people thing. He would still charge people not to bring him back and then just bring him back anyway and let the towns deal with it. But at least he would have known instead of being ignorant of the power that he had. At the 18-minute mark, I paused the episode, went and got some cheddar cheese with bacon bits, which mm, sounds good even now. (laughs) um, Put on my wrist cracker, went back to the computer, and watched the rest of the episode. The actor who played the mayor very much sounded like um, the voice of the actor from um, Winnie the Pooh. Now, I said he did Winnie the Pooh, but he didn't. I think he did Piglet. I think... um, that was the voice that he did in the Winnie the Pooh animations. Garrity, you could actually see dead people never took the time to look, going from one town with his partner, and like you said, lend a cute dog to the next. You know, next time he should have really stopped and take a look. We could see in this one um, that um, Rod loved the westerns, and he had it sprinkled throughout the the series. Um, he did try and make a go, but with that um, one series, but it only lasted one season, that was the one that had um, Lloyd Bridges in it. Unfortunately, the episode teetered on a comedy aspect, um, the way with the music and the Monica. And the best part of the episode was at the end when the people rose from the grave, very much if um, and Rick Wall probably would very much understand when I mentioned the name Ed Wood. felt like an... Ed Wood moment there. <laughs> it's not a total zero, but, you know, all I can give it as a one out of five. And, you know, just telling all you out there how interesting my lunch was, was sounding better. than <laughs> <episode>, so. <laughs> <Well,
1: laughs> to Bobby. Have Felix, fun. Hang on one second. Felix gives it a 3.5 despite, despite the major potholes. And he said he thinks it would have been cool if uh, John Denner's character had, had been Satan in the end. That would have been interesting. Okay. Thanks,
2: Felix. Okay, Bobby. Well, if I had little to say about the encounter, I have even less to say about this. (laughs) I'll have to uh, pass on and take Rick's way out only a little differently. He couldn't comment on the encounter because he hadn't seen it. But I can't comment on this because I have seen it twice. About a month ago and last night in the middle of the night at 3 o'clock in the morning, when I had insomnia, I decided to uh, watch it again, and that took care of the insomnia. So uh, I really <laughs> I have nothing to add about this at all. In my uh, written review, I had said it would have been interesting, instead of having those dead people come out of the cemetery at the end, if uh, classic Twilight Zone episode characters had walked out of the cemetery instead to try <laughs> to resurrect the dead, otherwise known as the Twilight Zone. It's just more horror, more horrible, and more horrible as it goes along. So to say that it's a zero is
7: uh, obvious. Lynn?
1: Okay, Dave?
7: Uh, Yeah, uh, again, uh, I have seen this in the past, but I didn't get to see it uh, just recently. Uh, A couple of things spring to mind. It wasn't really much of a story, but um, I'm wondering whether this, again, was was Sterling, uh, you know, uh, tongue-in-cheek saying... um, you don't pay me i'm going to bring series six of twilight zone to your screens <laughs> um <laughs> I, i'm going to revive the corpse of twilight zone uh, so pay me to go away uh but that's probably uh me being too influenced by being in bobby's company for so long um <laughs> I, I did th- i did think and and maybe robert may agree with me there was a little bit of uh towards the end the the, the final scene and i like by the way felix's idea i think that is, it would have been a, a marvelous way to wrap it up. Uh, We're yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, but um, if anybody's seen Buffy, um, Buffy the mm-hmm. Vampire Slayer, uh, quite often they'll have scenes like uh, you know, um, uh, you know, Buffy goes into the graveyard and they're waiting for some vampire to to rise from the dead because after they've been bitten, of course. Then the next morning or in that night they they rise. And then Buffy, being uh, as it is, very sidetracked with the the social uh, problems of young teenagers, uh, you know, um, uh, they'll be sitting there, sort of sitting at the graveyard, sort of being bored, waiting for the vampire, and then they get talking about boys or this, that, and the other, to the point whereby which, when the vampire does. About out of the grave, they either first of all walk away thinking, well that's quiet tonight, nothing happened, and there's a vampire behind them sort of, you know, going berserk, or um, you know, the vampire has to almost uh, tap them on the shoulder and say, excuse me, you know, are you the vampire slayer, you know, I'm you know, I'm here, take notice of me um, <laughs> so, so they did quite a few of these little tongue-in-cheeks um, well Dave, it could have been worse it could have been Saruman coming out of the grave <laughs> Do you know what oh, I mean? Indeed he do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It could have been The Brigadier. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, uh, as I say, because I haven't seen it recently, I can't make too much of a comment. I would say it was better than the last episode. Uh, I do like the, the, the main actor in, in this this one, um, John Denner, is it? Um, yeah. Uh, he's, he's been in lots of stuff, um Gosh, I didn't realize he was born in 1915, uh, died in 1992, age 76. But I've seen him in an awful lot of uh, shows, and he, he always portrayed good characters. Uh, when I mean good, I mean faithfully, uh, in terms of being good. So uh, I won't prolong it any more than that. Say that I, If I gave you the 1-1, one, one, then I, I, in all fairness, must give this 2.
1: Okay. Sounds good.
7: Rick? All right, I always get this one confused
6: with another one, I think. Is this the one at the end where they go to the grave and they try to find out if he did or didn't, and the girl's there uh, saying, so take a look sister? at my cape? The sister. That's the grave. Yeah. Oh, okay. The
1: one with, uh, what is it, Lee Marvin? No, um r- r-
0: um Yeah, James Lee Cob- Marvin, you're right.
1: Oh, yeah, Lee Marvin, I'm sorry. I yeah, get him into right. like
6: James Coburn with Lee Marvin, yeah. Yeah, I always get those two these two confused. But um I I don't know, I kinda liked it. Um yeah, I, I guess I, I guess I'd give it uh, what you gave it a three point five.
1: Well I gave it a two and a half.
6: Two and a half, all right.
1: Uh, but but Felix gave it a three point five.
6: Okay. Uh I'll give it a two five then.
1: Okay. Well yeah, I I I meant that it was all that bad. Okay, well, that's cool. Oh and feel, yeah, Felix 3.5, and I guess you gave the encounter, you uh, didn't give it a rating, but you said you didn't like it, so that's OK. All right, well, that takes care of those two stories. We're down to the wire, folks. We have only four stories left to go. And uh, that's it..: that's of- It is. It is four left mm. to Go, the end of, of the series. And then after we do those, and we've got one more show where we're going to talk about our favorites, the best and worst. But, uh, geez, when is our next show? Two weeks from now is, what, the uh, 28th? Okay, yeah. Saturday, March 28th at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. We're going to be talking about the Brain Center at Whipple's. Oh, dear. And... um, <laughs> and oh god, please don't make me say it. I can't say it, Robert. You have to say it.
0: Oh, is it the Come Wander With Me episode? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh my harpies! Oh god! Oh my! God. There you go, Lynn. <laughs> oh, I just can't say it. Hey, yeah. Now, don't feel bad. I got a Doctor Who reference that I said in my review, which um, I will bring up with this one, which tied into the first Doctor um, episode called "The Gunfighters." So I will bring that one up the next time.
1: Okay. Well, next, <laughs> time. <laughs> next time we're going to do Whipples and that other one. <laughs> sure.
0: <laughs> and that which will was, remain unnamed unnamed so. I just can't say Michael
6: Bolton <laughs> <that. laughs> Dave, re- Dave knows that reference
7: indeed <laughs> I do
1: <laughs> oh my god okay well that's two weeks from now so I hope I see everyone there you might want to be there definitely for when we talk about that other one <laughs> <laughs> So I hope I see you too, Felix. So I'll see you guys two weeks from now. And I hope you have a great rest of the weekend. Thanks for coming. And with that, I will turn it over to
0: Robert for our end. Okay, here we go. We'll end out with this. Bye, everybody.
5: Bye.
4: The subject next time is automation. Our area of concern, the replacement of men by machines. It happens to be not only a current industrial phenomena, but potentially a sizable can of peas that once opened carries with it some very special story material. On the Twilight Zone next time, we open that can of peas and present a battle between the men and the machines. Richard Deacon and Paul Newland star in The Brain Center at Whipple's.